You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. This week, we're looking at another question from our That's a Great Question series, and the question is, what's so special about the Bible? So the Bible is the only religious text of Christianity. It's the central religious text of Christianity. We read it, we give it authority in our lives, and so the question is, why? What is so special about it? Welcome in to Church Unplugged. All right, welcome into Church Unplugged. Today, I have with me Mike Holwerda, who's a part of our leadership team, Zach Weirach, who is the director of Orchard NEO, our church planning initiative, and then Joe Coffey, our lead pastor. Uh, I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. Today, we are going to be answering one of the questions from our That's a Great Question series. The question is, what is so special about the Bible? What's so special about the Bible? So uh, the Bible is obviously the primary and only significant religious book of Christianity. So what makes it so special? Why is it so significant for us? Okay, if I divide that into two things that are... I usually hear two objections to the Bible. Let me ask you guys these. One is, uh, how do you know that what we have is what was written? And then the second question is, how do you know it's true? That doesn't make it true. So there's something that's special about the Bible in both those areas, I think. But let's start with the first question, which is... Because uh, I was on the, the golf course a couple of years ago, and this guy was found out I was a pastor and then didn't, you know, said something about the Bible. And I said, yeah, you probably think it's like the game of telephone where somebody said something and then by the time it gets all the way around the room, it's completely changed. And he said, that's exactly what I think. So. I would actually add a third objection into there that I, that I think I hear more and more is uh, not only that, but is the Bible trustworthy culturally? So, okay, oh, maybe good. it's historically yeah. accurate. Maybe what it said is true, but in our modern culture, some of the teachings, can we trust it and can it be an authority in our, our culture today? Okay. Yeah, I would say to the first objection, like, can we trust the Bible that we have? I think when you look at um, kind of other books written, even close to the time frame the Bible's put together, again, the Bible was, well, this is kind of a side note, but uh, put together over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, so it falls into this huge time gap. But uh, when you compare the amount of manuscripts for the New Testament that we have, it's pretty striking, the number. And uh, last time that I looked, it was well over 20,000 different manuscripts, which means kind of nothing in a vacuum. But I think when you compare it to other literature in that time frame, like uh, the works of Homer, um, Two things stand out. One, there is evidence of manuscripts, I think, within 25 to 40 years of when the New Testament books were written, and uh, the works of Homer were somewhere around, um, I believe, like 500 years later. No, I think I think it's more like 1,000 years, 1,100 years for Homer. Is and it really? Like, okay. Uh, yeah. And yeah, most people don't understand the rules of judging piece of literature from antiquity. Yeah. You know, they usually don't think about that. They think, oh yeah, Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare and we know that and Homer wrote Homer and we know, you know what he wrote is fine. But all of a sudden with the Bible, they change the rules. But yeah, yeah I think uh, the number of manuscripts, the, the age gap between the original authorship and the actual copies, I think you can pretty much wipe out that first question. Zach? You haven't even chimed in yet. Yeah, so the second question is, how do we know what we have now is the is supposed to be in the Bible kind of thing? And I think probably there are, are a couple of answers to that. So one is when you talk about the Old Testament, that really the church defers to to the 
to the Jewish uh, people for their understanding of what they what they have always determined to be uh, the books in which God has has spoken to his people. So again, some of it too, I think it's a, a, a way inspiration works question because I think that Christianity is not like Islam, which says Muhammad went into a cave and a book descended from the sky and he grabbed it and that was the Quran. But Christianity very much so says this was written by men uh, who were talking about what had happened or, or were under the inspiration of God. So it's like both. The men are writing it and God is working in their writing, prompting the writing kind of over, behind, under, and through the writing of it. And so uh, you have the Old Testament with the Jewish people saying these are the books in which we've always understood God is speaking to us. That's how the church has historically excluded Included things like the Apocrypha, uh, because the Jewish people themselves have never embraced those books uh, as scripture. And then the New Testament uh, really falls under the rubric of apostolic authority, that that the books that are in the New Testament are the ones the apostles themselves either wrote or sanctioned. So, you know, for instance, obviously Paul was an apostle, and, and he wrote a great deal of the New Testament, and then you have Peter and um, John and, and others, but then also... I always think that rule makes a lot of sense, by the way. Yeah. I was curious, could you... Once... once you, the last person who knew Jesus died, you can't make up a new story about Jesus. Yeah, and, 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 that, no and that's, that's why they were, <laughs> well, and that's why they were writing it down. So, by the way, apostolic authority just means that, that one of the apostles either wrote it or they sanctioned it. So the first one makes sense, right? Well, Peter wrote that, so that makes sense. But the second one means this, like uh, the first gospel written was Mark. We, most people believe. And the reason why it was written was because Peter was di- was dying. And if you look at this, the book of Mark, it's actually, most people believe, written up based off the preaching of Peter. In fact, you can do an interesting study where if you read the gospel of Mark and you read Peter's sermons in the book of Acts, they're almost identical with, with what they say and when they say it. And so what happens, obviously, is Peter walked with Jesus. Peter was a close uh, follower of Jesus, a close friend of Jesus, a leader of the church. So as he starts to to get older and, and they worry about martyrdom and him not being with them anymore, someone says, hey, we should really write this stuff down. And that's what they do. And and so Mark is written not by Peter, but it is very much so informed by Peter, so that Peter is sanctioning it. And so Mark gets its authority from its proximity to Peter. And so every book in the New Testament meets that standard of apostolic authority. And then when the apostles uh, pass away, um, with, you know, and through a variety of means, there are no more books to be inspired because everything about Jesus that we need to know has been recorded by those who knew it best. Yeah, and I don't know if, if anybody listening has uh, read the Da Vinci Code or different things like that, but they always bring up uh, the idea that there are other gospels and these were picked out because they did a certain thing with Jesus. And uh, what Zach just said is that, that that's, well, there's a reason that Da Vinci Code is fiction, right? right? And so right. They're, they're making things up. The Gnostic gospels were written some 200 years later, which is when, you, you know, again, the rule makes sense. If you didn't walk with Jesus, then you don't have the authority to, to, to make up stories yeah, about think, Jesus. But there's no one to check those stories. Yeah, I think so. sometimes it's important for Christians to remember that, like thinking back to when the Da Vinci Code came out, that just because you don't have a good answer doesn't mean there isn't a good right. answer. And sometimes I think people think, oh, no, I don't know how to answer this, so there must not be an answer. But I do want to make this point. I think this is important. That, that really what Christians believe about the Bible is what the Bible says about itself. And that's really important. So the Bible claims multiple times, whether it's in a prophet saying, uh, thus saith the Lord, whether it's in recounting creation, only God himself could recount creation, or whether it's you know, kind of on-the-face passages like uh, 2 Timothy 3, which will say, all scripture is God-breathed. So when the Bible says that about itself, 
you're forced to really draw one of two conclusions. The Bible is wrong. It's, it's blatantly lying about itself, or it is the Word of God. Those are really the, at that point, the Bible itself forces you into one of those positions. So sometimes I think people say, well, the Bible's fine. It's just the church makes too much of it. And it's like, no, actually, the Bible itself is making uh, much of it. And then we're forced to, forced to reckon with whether or not we agree or disagree. Yeah, and I think even the way that um, New Testament writers talk about like the message of the gospel in Scripture is it's something that you know I think the common notion is somehow in some dark room you know a few hundred years after Christ um, you know ascended that they got in a room picked the book the Bible and said all right now this is the Bible and the language that you see them using is hey we received this right Paul talks about all this time what I received now I pass along to you. And this language of uh, this is we're confirming this, not necessarily choosing this, yeah, and to say, or even creating it, creating it. Right? It's almost like if we were to say, "Hey, what would be the um, like the canon for this country?" Right? We would pretty easily come up with the Constitution and other things that would, and it wouldn't be, "Hey, we are creating this." It's oh, these are natural these are documents. documents. Yeah, they're in place. Yeah. And I think that like that clicked for me when I kind of remembered that and thought about that for how to look at scripture and Bible overall. Yeah, and one of the ways you know this, uh, by the way, is that in the gospel stories themselves, you see the disciples who become the apostles contradicted all the time. Like you see that they're undergoing a reckoning of, wow, Jesus is the word of God, therefore he's challenging me, he's changing me. He's So when they're saying things like we received this, they're saying, look, we didn't make this up. It was it was weird to us at first too. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't know what to do with this either. It, we've been changed by it and therefore we're giving you what, what has affected us, but it doesn't come from us. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. So one of the questions that kind of is rolling around in my head right now is, you know, the primary focus of this conversation thus far has focused on the New Testament. And somebody might be listening to this asking, okay, you're talking a lot about the New Testament, but there seems to be a difference between the new and the old. And one thing I'll say is we do have an entire podcast on this. If you go back into uh, the archives, it's one of the first ones we released. But maybe could we just talk for one minute about uh, the, the Old Testament, because we focused a lot on the Gospels, and we, you know, that that I can get my head around, but I could also get my head around asking the question, okay, those are eyewitness accounts, I can wrap my head around that, how do I deal with the Old Testament? Yeah, I think the first thing to say about the Old Testament is that it covers a lot of ground, right, historically, much of it is narrative, much of it is t- telling the story of, of history, the history of what God's done, the history of the Jewish people, that kind of thing, and uh, it is historically accurate. So, so to say... You know, it's kind of one of these things where if I were telling you what I did last weekend, just last weekend, and we're recording this on a Wednesday, so that's not even that far away, the more I talk about my previous weekend, the more likely I am to get something wrong, right? The, the more I, I ate this, I, then I did this, then I did that, the more I talk, the more likely I am to say something that I think is true but isn't true. Uh, and I think the Bible covers, you know, hundreds, thousands of years, the Old Testament. And so... It says a lot about a lot of things, and yet we have never found it to be historically inaccurate, which is a really remarkable thing for a book to be able uh, to claim. And so I, I think it's funny because people say, well, you can't take the Bible seriously, you can't trust the Bible. And you think, well, well, this is a pretty big feather in the cap that would tell you you could do that, but that seems to be readily dismissed. The think, other, the other yeah. thing I'd bring up is uh, uh, for a Christian, at least, I have to look at what Jesus, how Jesus thought about the Old Testament, how he talked about the Old Testament, and he had seemed to have complete confidence in the Old Testament. 
So when somebody asks me that, I need to find out really what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about the New Testament. That's why we focus so much on the New Testament, because if you're going to believe in the New Testament, believe in Jesus, then you just have to ask yourself the question of how did Jesus view the Old Testament? And by the way, that happens in more ways than you think. So obviously your mind jumps to something like John 5 when he says, you read Moses, Moses wrote about me, or Matthew 5 when he says, don't think I've come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill it. But even things like he will say, it'll be harder for this generation the day of judgment than it will be for Nineveh because they had Jonah and they believed. And you think, what's the story of Jonah? That a man was thrown into the ocean, swallowed by a fish, spent three days there and was spit out and went and preached. You think, well, surely that's not true. Well, Jesus believed it to be true because he actually makes a direct comparison to say, it actually, God's going to be harder on on you than than he is on them because look at what they did and all they had was Jonah. And here I am, the greater Jonah, and you won't listen to me. I mean, that is a direct affirmation by Jesus of the story of Jonah. And so if I say, I don't believe that story, that's fine, but now I'm at odds with Jesus. I have a different view than Jesus uh, of the Old Testament. Yeah, you begin to even see that play out throughout the New Testament, right? I think New Testament implies, I think even early on in my faith, I had this sense that everything in the New Testament was like under brand new inspiration of God, right? And I remember stumbling across a book, uh, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. Um, And it's not a very thin book. It's actually like several, several hundred pages, and just tracing the either direct quotation or allusion to Old Testament passages in the New. And, I mean, you see it with Jesus, you see it with Paul, right? I mean, I just was reading in 1 Corinthians and how he uses the whole example of Israel in the wilderness leading into the Promised Land, um, which causes some barriers when you begin to dig into some of those things. But Paul is very frank, and this was for your example, right? So affirming the, the history of it, the truth of it, and whether it's Jesus or Paul or, I mean, uh, pick a book, you will probably find an allusion or a quotation of some Old Testament passage. Yeah, yeah. And that just really, um, yeah, made a huge impact on me. But I do want to stress here with the Old Testament, and I think this picks up on your question, Jimmy, about cultural, how culturally relative it is. And, and just saying that I think sometimes people saying the Old Testament is true uh, does not mitigate against the need to read it as literature in understanding that the Old Testament is telling a story. And if you're not in tune with the story, you're going to miss why things are being said. Like, let me give you an example. People are often fond of saying in the Old Testament, there's polygamy. And that's true, there is polygamy. And they'll say, therefore, the Old Testament sanctions misogyny. It sanctions the subjugation of women, all these things. But but again, to say that is to kind of cherry pick. It's like dropping into a scene in a movie and saying, now I understand the movie because I've seen this scene. Because for instance, when you read the Bible, when you begin at the very beginning, you see that God made one man and one woman, and, and that was his plan. And then you have uh, Adam and Eve eat from the tree, which they shouldn't have done. They're sent out of the garden. Cain kills Abel, and then you get this guy named Lamech. And the sense of the story is things are going downhill. Adam and Eve, all they did was eat from a tree. Now Cain has murdered Abel. Lamech is singing a song about he has murdered a young boy who bothered him, and he's singing the song to his two wives. And if you stop at that point in the story and you say, is Lamech a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. How do you know? Well, he murders, and, and he marries two women. And he writes songs about it. And, yeah, <laughs> hip-hop songs, right? And he, yeah, And so you've got Lamech, you've got Lamech, you know, kind of singing about murder and and singing to his two wives, and the clear sense is, oh my goodness, what's happened? Yeah, things have come unglued. Right, but right. but like any good story, the Bible doesn't say 
Wah, wah, everyone pay attention. This is polygamy. This is bad. Like you don't do that when you're writing a story. No one does that. You're supposed to, as a reader, intelligently read from the context. This is not good. So again, a lot of times people are saying, well, why this? Why that? Why? Well, if you read it, if you understand the context of the story, you can make sense of these, many of these parts, which tend to trip people up. So let's move to that third objection that you alluded to earlier, just the cultural objection, saying, okay, I, I, can, I agree that the Bible is accurate to its original writing. I agree that the things in it might have some truth to them, but what if I can't get my head around the idea that it is culturally relevant when it was right. written 2,000 years ago and things have changed so much? We go, wait, go back to what Zach said uh, at the beginning when he was talking about... Uh, the disciples and being challenged by Jesus, and the disciples were very much a part of their own culture, right? And what happens is that Jesus disrupted their whole understanding of their culture and about God and about what God wanted for them and about what it meant to live a life and all of that. And then you go, you start to go through church history and you find out that, oh, the Bible challenges every culture, every place, all the time, and it disrupts that culture and for a person who believes in it, we end up becoming uh, somebody who is obviously uh, at odds with the culture in certain areas because God has God has impacted our lives. I just find it interesting that we think at the 21st century that we're the culture that finally arrived, yeah. and and that Jesus would, if he was here, he would really agree with us in every aspect yeah. of our lives because he would have grown. In the last, yeah, and it is there well. is a uh, as C.S. Lewis would call it a chronological snobbery there that says, well, you know, we've arrived, and anything that differs from our culture uh, is wrong. When I think, if we're honest, we'd have to say history tells us a hundred years from now, the generation living then will look back on what we're doing and and think we're idiots the way we look back on the generation before us and think the same thing. But yeah, I think Joe's right. I mean, I think Jesus, John four comes to mind, woman at the well, where where the disciples say, "What are you doing talking to a woman?" And Jesus just says, "That's stupid." Or Peter and Acts when the blanket comes down and God says, eat. And Peter says, I can't eat. You know, I'm a, I'm a Jew. We don't do that. And God says, that's stupid, right? So over and over again, the Bible is challenging the culture in which it exists. I think we have to be honest and say that any people group in a particular culture generation can use the Bible for its own purposes, but the fault of that would not be in the Bible. It would be in the one or the ones that are using it to that end. Yeah. So I think the important thing with regards to this question of the Bible, again, just to come back to it, is to say this is what the Bible says about itself, that it comes from God, that it is authoritative, that it alone tells us how to be reconciled to be God, to God, how to be right with God, and, and how to be part of what God's doing in the universe. Uh, there's no middle ground in that claim. And so if you say, I think it gets that right, but I think what it says about sex or gender or money or government or is wrong, that's a logical fallacy. If the Bible can't get sex right, it cannot get salvation right. right. right? That, that's just inescapably true. So you are forced to, even as you listen to this podcast, you're forced to reckon with, do I believe the Bible's own claims about itself? Because all the church is doing and all we're doing is echoing what the Bible says about itself, not adding to it, but echoing it. And if the Bible is that, then you have to expect the Bible to be challenging you all the time when you're reading it. And yeah. if it's not challenging you, if it's not challenging your choices, challenging your your desires, then you're probably not allowing the Bible to be 
yeah. over you. Yeah, and I want to add to that, and I think this is really important, that really what's changing you is that the Bible is in bringing you into relationship with God. Any relationship changes you. I mean, you start dating someone, you start hanging out with someone, they're going to say, I don't like this, don't do this, wear this, don't wear that. And you're going to be forced to reckon with, do I care enough about this person in this relationship that I will change my behavior in order to accommodate them? That is the math we're doing all the time. Or am I wrong in my behavior? That's right. It's absolutely right. Every relationship will change you if you really are in it. And I think the same is true of a relationship with God. The more you, if you really want to get to know God, then you're really going to hear what he says. And if you hear what he says, it's going to change you. And where you'll find that is in the Bible. You've been listening to Church Unplugged. And one of the things we want to continue to do is make the connection between our faith in Jesus and our everyday lives. So if you have a question or topic that you'd like to hear discussed, feel free to email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. And if you want more information about Christ Community Chapel, our church, you can go to our website, which is www.ccchapel.com. Thanks for listening.